Amen. Amen. All right. How y'all doing today? Was it snowing at your house when you left? I heard it was snowing out there in Puyallup, at least. Anywhere else? Lake Taps, it was snowing. Oh, my, my. You know, November can be an interesting weather month. Um, so we'll see. But sometimes November can be spicy, and then it chills out, and it's fine. So don't worry, people. Don't worry. It's, it's going to be okay. We can survive it, right? All right. Well, welcome to church, and uh, so excited to have you. Last week, we got started on the, on the book of Romans, and we had our Wednesday Bible study, and uh, we kind of plowed through the first chapter and into the second chapter, kind of verse by verse, and breaking it open to a little bit deeper uh, knowledge and understanding. And so I want to encourage you, if you missed Wednesday night, you can go online, and you can uh, it's been down, downloaded up on, on, download, upload, whatever you do, it's there, apparently. Uh, so, and then you can also, if you're kind of more like me, you can go over to the, the table over there and Bill has a copy of it and he'll copy you off one, uh, a CD. So if you have a CD player or something like that, you can, you can do that. But it's really good for you to be listening along that way uh, because Sunday mornings are meant to be kind of overarching concepts and Wednesday nights is going to be a little bit more of the specifics. Um, I told you last week that uh, shoving, you know, getting, getting this understanding understanding of God and trying to get God Almighty into our little brains is kind of like what putting uh, shoveling Mount Rainier into a pillowcase. Remember that? So that's what we're trying to do. And, and Romans is pretty much God. So we're trying to shove Romans into five weeks. Everybody say, Lord, help her. Probably. So that's how we're doing it. That's how we're rolling. And uh, so anyway, so Sundays and then Wednesday nights, come on out with us if you can. On Wednesday night, we do have childcare, though we would like to know if you're coming with children so we can make sure that we have enough childcare for you. So um, that is that. And then I also threw out the challenge for you to read the book of Romans this last week. Ra now, should I say raise your hand? Did you read the book of Romans? Who wrote the book of Rome? Read the book of Romans? way high. Look at that. Good job. Partial. Okay, partial read the book of Romans. Okay, there you go. <laughs> if you read anything in the Bible this week, raise your hand. Yes. Hallelujah. We got you. Absolutely got you. So um, uh, Jim Franz was telling me that you can, uh, there's some, when you listen to the bu uh, book of Romans, I can't remember what website he listened to, but if you listen to it, if you turn it on, you know, and the little man speaks it, it only takes an hour and 20 minutes to do the whole book of Romans. So I told him, oh, my word, if you do it that way, we can do it every day. Get it in your head. So that, that was a challenge. So this coming week, I really want to encourage you to go ahead and go back to the beginning and read it through again. Because we're going to get this really deep inside of our hearts. And uh, hopefully, you know, there's going to be concepts that come along. And you know, why are they talking about? What does that mean? We'll come every Sunday morning, and I'm going to break it open for you. Hopefully. Amen, right? So then I threw out another challenge for you, and that challenge involved some green. Remember? Remember? Who remembers? So I promised you a crisp $100 bill to the first person to memorize Romans 8. Now, you know, raising kids, I will just warn you, I was never beneath bribery with my children. You know, I don't know if that was correct 
ways of raising children, but honey, I'll give you a sucker if you'll just be quiet for the next 30 minutes, right? Anybody else in the room with me on that one? Okay, so, you know, a little bribery goes a long way, a long way, and so does a little bribery help us to hide God's word in our heart, because we are told to hide God's word in our heart, right? Well, guess what? I have a taker. Garrett, come on up. And he has agreed to recite it for us this morning, so come on up. Come on. Oh, he's got his Bible with him, just in case. If you haven't met Garrett, this is a wonderful, mighty man of God, and he has Romans 8 hidden in his heart, right? Yes. Okay, so open your Bibles to Romans 8. You've got to follow along and make sure this man has got it right. Are you ready? Yeah. Loosen up, champ. Okay, can you do a little stretching? Okay. Are you ready? Romans 8. This is uh, in the New King James Version. I think it's short, so anyway, I don't know. The shortest one? I try. I, well, there's some shorter, but I tried this one. So, all right. <clears throat> there is therefore now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. <clears throat> The law of sin. I know. I do know this. I know this. I know you know this. The law of I sin and one word. One word. Four. Four. What the law could not do, uh, in that it was weak because of the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, so that He may condemn sin in the flesh. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is at enmity against God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, nor indeed can it. Therefore, anyone who lives according to to the flesh cannot please God. But you do not live according to the flesh. You live according to the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And now, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ is not his. If Christ is in you, then the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if he who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead shall also give, you, give life to your mortal bodies. <clears throat> Through the spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. 
For you did not receive again, you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we call out Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the sons of God. And if sons, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That we, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I do not consider the present, the, the sufferings of this present time to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the creation, the eager expectation of the creation earnestly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The, the creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation will be delivered from the, corruption, the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. For we all know that the creation, that the whole creation groans with labor pains together up until now. And not only this, but we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. One word. <laughs> for we were saved in this hope. And hope that is not seen, hope that is seen is not hope. For who is the one who still hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with perseverance. And likewise, the Spirit himself helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that cannot be uttered. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that, there, that he may be the firstborn among many brethren." Moreover, whom he, whom, he, whom he predestined, these he called. Whom he called, these he justified. Whom he justified, these he glorified. So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not together with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who, is it, who is he that condemns? It is Christ who, is, who died and furthermore is risen and is seated at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation 
shall or distress or um, if the, if I don't get these in order, is it cool? Okay. So or or peril or nakedness or famine or sword, as it is written. Um, for his sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or anything in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Shall I give him the $100 bill? Okay, there you go. <laughs> Way to go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Woo. Okay, so challenge to you folks now for this week. The $100 bill is gone, right? But there's so many portions of Romans 8 that is amazing. And uh, I am going to, if you can give me even, say, like a fourth or a half of it, we have a bunch of Romans, uh, the the passion translation available to you. You can purchase it for $15 or you can give me some memorization, okay? I'm not going to ask necessarily for the whole thing, but if you can give me the whole thing, man, you can have the whole stack of them. I'll give you the, all of them. But um, anyway, I just want to challenge you. This month, we're going to just saturate ourselves with the book of Romans. We're going to saturate ourselves with what's in it. We're going to memorize it. We're going to read it. And we're going to get it inside of us. Amen? Okay, so let's get going. Pray for me right now. In Jesus' name, Lord God, help me in the next 30 minutes to unfold some very deep truths and revelations in Jesus' name. God, I pray right now you'll settle upon these people that, that I might give them a spiritual gift, Lord God, from you to them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so very quickly, are you ready? I'm going to talk fast. Put on your fast ears. Okay, God is love. Last week we talked about the fact that God is perfect love and that our love tends to be a little imperfect. God's love is filled with uh, a lot of sacrifice. God's love is sacrificial, completely sacrificial, whereas ours, we kind of think about the ROI. Okay, is this relationship enough to, to warrant that much pain? I don't know, maybe not. But God's love is completely sacrificial. He lays everything down. He is unconditional. His love is completely unconditional. There is absolutely no conditions to his love. We say, on a good day, I'll love you. On a bad day, it might be. We'll just see how it works out. Our love kind of wanes, comes and goes, because that's how we love. We love imperfectly. But God loves absolutely perfectly. God's love is unfailing. Our love tends to, you know, like, you know, this word falling in love and falling out of love. So actually, when, when I read that, I think, okay, it really should say God's love is unfalling. He doesn't fall in and fall out and fall back in and fall out and figure out and whatever. He just loves. His love is unfailing. And ours is extremely uh, imperfect. We fail in our love. We feel in our love. And God's greatest desire is to be close in relationship with you and I because we are the objects of his love. What is love without something to love? Love is nothing without something to love. 
And so if you think about it, before creation, there was the Trinity, the Godhead that was dwelling together, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, so united and so, so one. But they had nothing else to love. And they are love. So it only stands to reason that it would be time at some point to create objects of love that he could pour out his love upon, and that would be you. If he didn't have you to love, his love could not be complete. Very interesting thought process. You are his object of love. You are the thing that his perfect love is laser beamed into, and every single soul on the planet that ever has walked and walks today is God's laser beam of love focused on them. Love. Anything that cheapens the worth or the purpose of God's object of love or cheapens his relationship with his object of love. God has a vehement, passionate, violent, passionate feeling towards that thing. It's called wrath. God hates anything that will harm his object of love. He does not hate his object of love, but he hates anything that his object of love would become involved in or come at his object of love that would harm his object of love. God's wrath is perfect. He is completely able and capable of hating everything that would be around his object of love, but yet not hating his object of love, loving his object of love. God hates sin. He loves the sinner. Because the sinner is his object of love. Unfortunately, due to a series of very sad events, all mankind sank deeply into sin. Sin hurts. Sin hurts self. Sin, sin hurts others. Sin destroys. Sin damages. Sin harms. Sin, sin harms relationships. Sin totally denigrates whatever it's around and touches. Sin will destroy you. His object of love. And I don't know about you, but I love my kids. I love them. But anything comes around them that's going to harm them, mama bear comes out. And if they do anything that's going to harm themselves, oh, mama bear comes out. This is where my wrath becomes imperfect because I just want to kill the whole mess, right? <laughs> ah, you know, that's not good. That's not good. You know, we, we got to keep it the way God is. But unfortunately, through the disobedience of one man, that disobedience seeded the entire human race with sin. Now there's two arenas of sin. There's inward sin that only I know about inside of me. Sin of jealousies and sin of rebellions and sin of hatred and sin that's inside of me. And then there's the sin that I actually do outside of me, my, my outward sins. Picking up a rock and throwing it when I was a little kid at my friend because I didn't like her. Outward sin. There's inward and there's outward. Individually, we stand extremely and painfully aware of our own inward sin, our own inward shortcomings. 
We can be one thing on the outside, but a totally other thing on the inside. Anybody agree? I am completely aware of my shortcomings, which makes me very different than a fly or a flea or a horse or a dog or a tree or a bush or a shrub. None of the rest of creation has this ability to know and understand our shortcomings. A fly can land on my dog's pile or whatever it is out in the, and then it can fly in and land on my food and it doesn't know it did a single thing wrong. Not a single thing wrong. It just goes about life. It's doing what it's supposed to do, right? Fly, land, fly, land, fly, land. But if I were to do something like that, I would know that I had done something horrible to somebody. <laughs> See, I have this thing inside of me that sets me apart from every other created thing or being. So how, what is this thing that sets me apart? There's two things. First of all, every single human being, God, when they were born, they are born with, the, with a code of conduct written on their hearts inside. Every single human being. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, green, yellow, orange, polka dot, striped, I don't care what it is. You can go into any tribe across the world, and if you get into their culture, you're going to find out that lying is bad, always. And the truth is good. You're going to find out that if you harm a child or a vulnerable one in any culture, it's wrong. But if you're kind, if you share, that's always good. If you kill somebody, it's always bad. If you heal somebody, it's always good. Any culture across the world. How is that? Because they have this code of conduct written in their hearts. Well, where did that code of conduct come from? Where did it come from? Sociologists, uh, you know, uh, psychologists, anthropologists, all these apologists out there that, are, that study mankind, they don't know what to tell you on this one. Because it's universal. Where did it come from? Where did this code of conduct come from? It had to be a higher authority. There's also the second thing that, that tells me what I'm do, doing wrong are external rules, okay? So, um, you know, I told you last week I have a disease in my right foot. It's not my fault. And my right foot, when it gets in the car, it pushes that thing really hard. It's a disease. It's not my fault. And as long as it pushes that thing under 25 on Manorwood Park Drive, all is well. But as soon as I push that thing and I break a law, an external rule, I get in trouble, right? So there's external rules, there's internal rules written on the heart of my heart. So who set these in motion? Who wrote out this code of conduct? Who is it that says that 25 is too much? Fire them. Should be about 65, if you ask me. Just kidding, just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm not that bad. So it had to be a higher authority, an entity of truth. Truth is something that never changes. Lies, there's 100,000 of them about an issue, but there's only one truth. This higher entity that set this stuff in motion, that, that writes it on the heart of man, and that, that allows 
right and wrong to exist. It, is, it has to be something, somewhere, somewhere that's, that's settled on truth. Because if it's truth, then it's real. But if it's not truth, it can be explained away in any way, shape, or form. This entity has to be truth and total truth. This entity also has to be right. Because if there's wrong, there has to be right. If there's rightness, there's wrongness. If there's wrongness, there's rightness. So this entity must know what's right, must be righteous, full of right. Who is this entity? Our higher courts, all they do is they think in their mind what is good, what is right, what is the real right thing, and they take that and they write it into words and they become our laws. Where does all that come from? Where does right come from? It's considered a rule of law. It's called a rule of law. It's a standard of goodness. So what is a law? You're going to hear about law a lot in Romans. So I'm trying to help you understand a concept here. What is a law? This is what a law says by Webster's Dictionary. It is a binding custom or a practice of a community, a rule of conduct. So a law is a custom or a culture of a community. That's what a law is. It's how a community works. It ha it's how a culture works. So, bef so it kind of works like this. Let me, let, me get you, let me help you understand this. Because it's very, very interesting what law is and what this rule of conduct is. So Dwayne and I fell in love and we got married, right? And uh, we, we thought that was really cool. And so we built a house. We built a house. We laid really nice carpet down. We filled the rooms with furniture. We filled the refrigerator with food. And we grew nice soft grass outside to play on. And we did all sorts of things. And we built this really cool house, right? But he and I, we loved each other, but we didn't have an object of affection. We didn't have children. So we decided to go ahead and have children. So we started popping out kids. We popped out four of them. Just bam, 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 right? Bam. There was a long wait between three and four. Bam, 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 bam. So that's how it happened. Popped out these kids. Every kid that came along, I mean, we were in love Oh, we were so in love. And I would spend hours just staring into their faces and loving them and holding them and, and just adoring them and, and telling them how perfect they, they were and how perfect they're going to be and that they're never, ever, ever, ever going to disobey and that it was just going to be just the coolest thing. And we had this, and they would gaze into my eyes and we would laugh and we would smile and we would, we would, you know, we had our little games we would play. And Oh, my kids, my kids, my kids. I love my kids. I, I just adored them. They were my object of affection. And as they grew, they would go off to school. And it was all really cool and I loved them and all that kind of thing. But when they would come home from school, there was certain culture about our house. So they would come in our house, and the first thing that they had to do was take off their shoes because I want to preserve my house clean. I just vacuumed, for heaven's sake. Take your shoes off. So they would come in the house. My heart would get excited because they're coming in the house, but they would take their shoes off because we don't want to harm the house, right? They'd have to take off their shoes. Then the next thing they'd have to do is take their backpack and their coat and run into the utility room and hang it on the hooks. Because my house, if you had four backpacks 
just explode. How many of you guys have seen backpacks explode? Backpack explodes and coats go everywhere. It's not a nice house anymore. So they had to go in and hang up their backpacks, hang up their coats. Then they had one more thing they had to do. They had to go in and wash their hands because I don't want the germs from Freddie and Susie coming in my house. That's my culture. This is me. This is how I love to express life. This is how I want to live. So my kids, who I love dearly, and we would romp and play and run and have such play times and love times, they also had to, if they were going to abide in my house, they had to, they had to follow my customs, my code of conduct, right? So they come in and they do these things. They come in, and you could call that a code. These are our little rules. You could also call those my laws. Because when my kids would come in, and they didn't do those things, it harmed our relationship a little bit. I loved them dearly. I love the child. I hate the mess. Are you getting it? So that's what a law is. Laws are the customs and the culture of a community. Customs and culture. Think that in your mind because every time. Now, so let's, let's put this now in God. God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are love. They don't do love. They do love. Yes, they do. But they are love. They are noun love. Nouns. And they needed an object to love. So they created you. They created Adam and Eve. They loved Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve and God's hearts were close. The Bible says they walked in the cool of the night together, and they talked, and they romped, and God had made this incredible world and filled it with so much, and, and God said, you can eat of anything you want, anything you want, just have at it. And, but for this to be a chosen love, if, if it was to be a chosen love, see, God wanted to be chosen. He didn't want to just have to, ha you have to love me. He said, I want you to choose to love me. So we put one rule down, just one, so that they had to choose. And that rule was, do not eat of that, that tree right over there. Don't eat of that tree. But you can eat of all the other trees. This is, my, this is my culture, my custom. I want to lavish you with everything you need. I want you, you know, I want you to just enjoy everything that I've made. But I have one request, one rule, one law, one culture in our, in our relationship, and that is that I need you to obey me on this. I need you to not eat that tree. And we don't know how long it is. So here's, God, here's Adam and Eve, and here's God's heart just like this. And around them is this culture, this framework of who God is, his, his customs and his world. And, and it, it, it revolved around the fact that they couldn't eat something and they had to choose to stay connected right here. Well, one day in Genesis 3, Satan came along and started whispering in their ears. So here's this tight relationship, tight relationship. Only one law, one rule. All of this amazing good stuff, one tight relationship the devil comes along and he doesn't hand them a piece of fruit from that tree he does not he starts causing them to disengage here first the heart of god was that really what he said you know he's kind of you know maybe he's not as nice as you think he is maybe he's not so cool and adam and eve 
began to disengage the heart, the heart first. And as soon as they had disengaged the heart, then it was very simple to reach out and do the action of sin, the outward sin. Does that make sense? As soon as they reached out and grabbed that thing, they were separated from God, and they fell. God's heart is up here, still loving the object of, their affection, of its affection, like crazy, like passionately, like jealously, fireball love for his objects of affection. But his objects of affection had disengaged and gone away. They had disengaged from this and fell, and they lost relationship. But one, the thing that came with them, though, was the memory of what it was like in God's culture. The memory. Because it was written in their hearts as well. So when they were fallen, they were out of relationship with God. But what they did have was an understanding and a memory and a, a written on their hearts of God's rules. The framework around them was still there of God's rules, God's culture, God's laws. And I want you to see this framework as kind of a, now it's an empty framework because the heart part is not there anymore. The heart is on the inside of God's framework that causes this love and this life to just be pulsating inside. And so that the framework and the culture of God and the laws of God are very easy to, to attain because you've got this incredible relationship. But when God, when man fell, all they had was this outer framework. That's all they had. Think of like an exoskeleton of like a big, huge beetle. It's the thing that goes through my head. Big, huge beetle. Hard outside shell, nothing on the inside. And man is down here now, and, and they're apart from God, and they remember what it was like, and, and they have this shell around them, this, this shell of what God's rules and regulations are, but they don't have the heart anymore, and they're, they're confused. And, and from Adam and Eve all the way through, we're, we're, we're broken, we're separated. We have this understanding of outward things. But the outward things without the pulsating heart of God inside to give us life, to give us strength to fulfill it, it becomes a very heavy burden. So here's man. God looks down at man in this situation. And he says, it's not quite the fullness of time, but until then, I'm going to do something. I'm going to pick out a very small sector of, this, of humanity called the Jews. And I'm going to take those Jews, and I'm going to give you an even more uh, detailed list of what my culture is like, what my world is like. And he writes it down on, you know, the Ten Commandments was one of those. And he gives them to the Jewish people. And he said, okay, now listen, if you'll be my people, if you'll follow my rules, if you'll be with me, I want you also then to circumcise yourself, cut off your flesh. And, and it's like a badge to wear on the outside to show that you're my people. So he does this with the Jews. But remember, all mankind has an understanding because they've got God's code wrote, written in their hearts. Laws, rules, they're really hard to follow. 
They're a really harsh taskmaster. And every single one of us find ourselves struggling. Every person in this world is struggling, knowing right and wrong because it's written in our hearts. Bearing the guilt of not following through. Bearing the guilt of not being able to perform. So some of us start performing harder. You know, maybe I could, if I could just, if I could just be better, if I could just be better, if I could just be, God will love me. God will love me if I'm just better, if I'm just better, if I'm just better, if I could just be better, if I could just be a little bit better today, God will love me a little bit more. And what you end up with are religions that begin to develop across mankind of man trying to be good enough Working and dealing with this, this exoskeleton framework of what they know is right, what they know is written in their hearts, and they're trying so hard to be good, and they'll, they'll walk on glass, and they'll walk on fire embers, and whatever they can do to try to please God, to try to fulfill this, this heavy burden, this heavy, heavy burden that's around them. Open your Bibles. To Romans, inside and outside, the inside and the outside, I would say to you people, is it important to live right, to do things well, to be the best you could be? Is it important? Yes. Yes. But I am going to tell you, Romans is about ready to be laid out before you as to how it's supposed to be done. Because the outside, external and internal. Everybody say external. Everybody say internal. Just as sin started internally with human hearts being turned and hardened towards God and reaching out and doing external sin and falling and, and now they're apart and far from God and, and trying to fulfill this external framework of laws and regulations and what they understand God to be like. God now wants to reverse it and this is where we find ourselves in Romans. Are you ready? Romans. Romans 1, verse 18. We're still in chapter 1. I'll take you fast, okay? I got 10 minutes. So the first 18 verses of Romans is um, just, hello, how are you? Can't wait to come. And then he opens up with this. And I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. You guys, the word wrath is right in there, I'm sure. So let me read out of the Passion Translation. So this is, this is Paul's opening sentence. For God in heaven unveils his holy anger, breaking forth against every form of sin. How do you like that? Yay, Paul, we love your book. God's coming after us. Is he coming after us or is he coming after our sin? Coming after our sin. For God in heaven unveils his holy anger, breaking forth against every form of sin, both towards ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions both towards ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions. For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people from acknowledging the truth about God. So God's coming after sin, 
And he's coming after it in two places. Internally, in our hearts, and externally, with our deeds. But I want you to see something. He's coming after our heart first. Okay? Our heart first. So he goes on through Romans 1 there, and he just starts listing it out, laying it out, all the evils of men and how horrible it is. And by the time he's done with that passage there, and he's done with chapter 1, I don't know about you, but I like stop kind of quietly, and I look around and wait for the thunderbolts and the lightning bolts to strike the ground and the wrath to arrive. Anybody else? And we all stand around after we know that all the evil of what man is, and it's silent, crickets. And inside of us, we know that evil demands a response. But we look around and nothing's happening. God's not doing nothing. You know, the guy that ran his truck into so many people, unless he kills himself, he's still alive. And he didn't, the ground didn't open up and swallow him. So we find in the next few verses, human reaction to all this horrible sin, and it's usually judgment. We look at each other and we start going, oh, I can't believe he would do that. Because all we see is the outside. I can't believe he would do that. Are you kidding me? That's horrible. That's awful. They're horrible people. And then verse 4. In fact, I'm going to read... I'm going to start up with verse 3 out of the NIV. And my projection person back there, Daniel's got to really follow with me. So what, what Paul says is, So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? In the Passion, it goes like this. Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted and despise him? Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Don't you realize that all the wealth of his Extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart. It's meant to melt your heart. And I am here to say to you, and I'm just going to shorten things up because I'm running out of time. Don't you love it? God first cares about your heart. God wants to engage your heart every moment of every day because that's where he can get his object of love, an object of affection, get his grimy mitts on us and begin to work inside of us. God wants your heart. But what happens is this heart place, this heart place inside here with God is a very, very tenuous, very, very kind of amazing place because our hearts are a very living, moving, breathing, just place. It's, it's very alive. It, it carries all of our emotions. It carries all of our place. It's our seat of our being. Our heart is the most amazing place. It is alive. It's breathing. It is constant. It's what makes you vibrant, your heart. And God wants to have your whole heart. He wants to be involved in that. He wants to be engaged in that. But when things happen in our life, 
hurts, disappointments, frustrations, anger, whatever it is, our hearts get injured. Anybody ever get an injured heart? And our heart, this, this, it kind of develops a little film. It like, it's like it injects a little something-something in our heart. And that little something-something, if it's not cared for properly, will, if given a little bit of time, harden. It kind of calcifies there. It becomes like a tough scab. So we can be walking around and we can have just a little bit of something-something in our heart. And then it gets hard. And then a little something, something more. And then it gets hard. And a little something, something more. It gets hard. Because our hearts are a very living, breathing, spiritual place. And it's where God wants to abide with us. He wants your heart first. But we find ourselves in the midst of life, this heart thing's kind of a, a, a challenge to keep moving. When God reached out to the Jews, he said, I want your heart, but I also gave you all this stuff on the outside. And eventually the Jewish people gave up trying to fix their hearts. They just focused on the outside. Let's see if I can be good enough. I'm going to wash my hands just right. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. And while they were doing all this stuff, they left the heart portion away. And it, was, it didn't happen very well. And, and the heart portion got colder and colder. But they were busy doing and doing and doing and doing. Chapter 2 talks a lot about the Jews and what they do. But he pulls it around on verse 28. Chapter 2, verse 28. And he says something very profound, and this is where I want us to settle today. Paul says that a man is not a Jew if he is only one on the outside. In other words, you're doing all the right things on the outside and you're wearing your badge of circumcision. That does not make you a Jew. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. God's setting something very plain in motion. And I want to right now change the word Jew in this, in this chapter here, in this verse, because we've been grafted in. And God's called us out to be a holy people, to be his people, to be his own people. And the very first place he wants to own in your life is not how you act. It's not what you do. It's not all of that outward stuff that we are so good at basing our worth on. We are so good at basing our worth to God. See, God, I'm pretty good. See, I'm doing all this. I'm pretty good, so you got to love me. Or you look at other people. See, see, I'm worth it today. Or maybe it's a bad day, and now you're not worth it anymore. Because, see, you're focused on the outside, the outer, all of this outer stuff. Outer stuff is extremely important to God. Yes, it is. And I can show you verse after verse that just kind of kind of keeps going back and forth. Outward is important, but more important is your inward. More important than the things you do and the way you act. He is insanely jealous of your heart. But we, he, he, he doesn't care how good or bad you are. He wants to love you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to bring you in.
He wants you in here. Jesus Christ came to humanity that was so separated from God and so, so enveloped with rules and regulations and laws and, and trying to be good for God. And try. Jesus Christ came, the Son of God, from perfect love, became one of us in this messed up mess down here with all the lists and the rules and the regulations. And he walked every day in our feet, fulfilling every single rule, packing the burden, the heavy weights of living right and well, and he did it. And he never messed up. He was perfect. And then he died on a cross, and he welcomed us into that. And he said, okay, listen, people, you can't be perfect. You've messed up so badly. You try and try and try and try and try. You can't. You can't do it. But I can, he said. He said, I can. So hide yourself inside of me and go to the cross with me. And I will hang there and I will bleed for you. Hide yourself inside of me and let me take the shame. Let me take the sin and the brokenness off of you. And then let's run to the heart of God and let's reunite with him. Because God wants your heart. You don't understand. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And I would say that the vast majority across this room has said yes to that. Yes, oh, Father, God, be my Savior. Be my, be my one that dies on the cross for me. Be the one. Be the one. Let me hide inside of you. I can't do it anymore. I can't be good. I can't fulfill the rules that are put on me. I would venture to say that every single one of you have done that. And our hearts are united. But we're not dead yet. We're not in heaven. We have to walk in this world. We have to get up in the morning. We have to fight. We have to face. We have to walk. We have to be love. We have to learn love. We have to be this. We have to be this. And God says, listen. Yes, you have, you have external things that you're going to have to deal with. But keep your heart close to me. Come here, baby. Come here. Come here. Listen, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Let's look at your heart right now. Is there sin in your heart? Is there doubt and unbelief in your heart? Are you pulled away from God's heart? Because when you're pulled away from God's heart and yet the exoskeleton of being good is still there, it, be, it sucks the life out of you. I have tried to be a good Christian coming here working and doing and doing and doing and doing and my heart grows colder and colder and colder and harder. And it becomes a very heavy burden. But praise God, praise God, he calls me constantly. He calls me constantly. And I run to him when I'm smart. Sometimes it takes me a bit to become smart. And what I mean by becoming smart is humbling myself and going, oh my 
God, my heart is, heart is hard. I have sin. I have sin. And usually the thing that causes our hearts to grow cold and hard is sin on the inside. Sin that people don't see. Because I'm looking so good on the outside. But for God's loving, caring heart's sake, I would say, people of God, throw off every weight and every encumbrance. Run to him before your perfect run to him. And let his love forgive you, for you're his object of great affection. I want the band to come. I know I'm a little bit late, but would you let the Lord still work in your heart for just a moment, just a moment. I want to sing Reckless Love. I want the lights out if I could. Only you and God know what's going on on the inside. You are inside and outside. And this is part A. Sermon part A. We're going to get to the outside. We are. And it's going to be so healthy and so good and so freeing and so wonderful because we're going to first have sermon part A, which is our hearts. I want you all to just stand if you would. Don't try not to move around. I just, I just want you to stand. I don't want you to put your hand up on your heart right now. And I want to tell you some things. Remember, God's so misunderstood. He's the most misunderstood thing on the planet. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Your heart, you and who you are, is the most favored object of affection of the God who created the universe. Your heart, your innermost being, the core of your being is his most vital, vital, vital place. And he is so insanely jealous of what transpires inside of your heart. And he's calling you and his kindness and his love and his, his tolerance. He's not... He's not wadding you up and throwing you away for your brokenness and for your sins. He is not. He's calling out to you. And his kindness is meant to melt all of that off of you right now. So that all that's left is a tender heart that he can interact with. And I will tell you that it's not just the big sins he's after. It's the little ones. It's the little tiny ones. The little tiny ones that want to get in there and harden, to quiet, to quench, to cool. No, he wants your heart ablaze like he's blazing for you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
hallelujah, 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 right now in Jesus' name. Lord God, I pray, I pray, I pray over the hearts of this house. I pray over the hearts of these ones standing here in Jesus' name. There is a war going on in some hearts right now. There's a war going on in some hearts right now. There's some in this room that don't believe that you love them. They don't, but they're not trusting you. They don't think they can trust you. They have a misunderstanding of who you are and your love for them. They are not sure that they can trust you. But Father God, right now I pray that the love of God would just shine abroad in their hearts, be shed abroad in their hearts, and show them how much you love them and how much they can trust you in Jesus' name. Oh, Father God, Father God, I pray right now that every sin is confessed and broken off of and ran from and every heart is renewed and made alive again in Jesus' name. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Just let the Holy Spirit just soak inside of you right now. We're going to sing this song. And you can go if you need to. I understand that, that it's time to go. But just let the Holy Spirit love you. Love your heart. And you break open any calloused, hard spot inside of you. And let it live and breathe and move and have its being in his love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Raise your hands to him right now.